Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone with me. Uh, second week in a row, we're not in a studio, but we've been tinkering with all the different recording things, so hopefully it works. Uh, to read all of our stories, check us out at michiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. Uh, we can write about basketball, football, recruiting. Uh, obviously, today's podcast, because we're a little short for time and because it's a little bit more relevant, is, is going to be devoted to basketball. That was most of our questions. I know we got a couple football questions. Don't think we're going to get to them today. But talking the Wolverines because they made the uh, made it to the Sweet 16, third year in a row, fifth time in seven years, uh, tied for most in the country, you know, I believe, with Kentucky and Gonzaga and North Carolina. So uh, once again, Michigan looking good in March. I uh, got some questions here. Let's let's start with Ben Leaders, who said thoughts on Des Moines as a first and second round site. Uh, I was there. I thought it was very good. I, I, I don't know about you, Steve. I don't know if there's like a difference for the viewers at all, but you know, I think, I think sometimes the smaller cities are the better first weekend sites. You know, I remember they were in Wichita last year. It's the same thing where it's like, I think it's, I'd like them to be more centrally located. It doesn't make a lot of sense that there's like eight teams that are vying for Columbus when only two get to go as far as the top 10 or 12 teams. Uh, it seems like they could probably use more upper Midwest and ACC kind of locations instead of out West. And even out West, there's Salt Lake City and San Jose. Um, any any thoughts on, on that? I, I guess we can just switch to the game talk, too. Uh, just... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not on, my boots aren't on the ground, so I, I guess I don't really know. I mean, on TV, it seemed like a relatively uh, lax atmosphere right I didn't I mean it was definitely pro Michigan but again I, I remember you know even I think the announcers mentioned it you got to remember uh when especially when they're playing Florida you had Michigan State Minnesota tipping off afterwards so I don't think you would say it was necessarily a raucous pro Michigan crowd uh, I actually probably think that this weekend may be more pro Michigan I mean the West Coast thing is something I talked about last week yeah or anybody else like a long ass time ago and like you know, it's like, I just go back to L.A., and I just, I do. I think it made a difference for them last year. Uh, I thought last year, especially against a and it was, it was a home game. And, and I think that there's a chance, especially on Thursday, although, again, Gonzaga, not really a big school. You know, I, I mean, they're going to travel. They're going to bring, there's going to be some people there, but it's of any, really, almost any major West Coast program, they're the ones I think that Michigan has the best chance to uh, outdo as far as the crowd goes mm-hmm. in a city like in a city like Anaheim. I mean, Spokane is still like fourteen hundred miles right. from Anaheim. It's not like it's a quick drive or anything like that, right? So again, weird, but it's one of those deals where it's like the alum having a huge alumni base like makes a big difference for you. It can really help in situations like this. And like I said, I think it really did help them last year and where it was. It was a home game type atmosphere for them and I, and I do I suspect it's going to be something similar on Thursday especially and then if they're able to win I, then I suspect on maybe on Saturday we could see like a 50-50 crowd or it'll be close right so uh, so I don't know I thought Des Moines you know they won right so right. it kind of been too <laughs> negative from the player standpoint so uh, but from the just from my vantage point it seemed like sort of a 
I want to say dull crowd, but I didn't really feel like it was anything, you know, amazing or, or raucous. And I'm speaking strictly as far as like, you know, did this, did it, you know, did Michigan feel at home? Did it sound loud? Uh, it didn't really come off that way to me from my... Yeah, I think, I think one thing for people who are counting the crowds to keep in mind is seating is important. So I think part of why Michigan did so well last year with seating is that they were the highest seed in the, in the L.A. regional. And so, like, Gonzaga, I think they'll travel better this year because they're a one seed. I think they feel a little bit better about their team than they did a year ago. Um, Texas Tech, Florida State, I don't know. But, I mean, Florida State, how many Florida State fans are thinking, oh, yeah, an eight seed, uh, let's, let me buy cross-country right. tickets to, to go right. see them get beat by Gonzaga and or Michigan. Um, whereas, you know, wait, so you think, hold on. So you think, so, so Florida state's the four seed, right? I mean, three of the same, so three of the same four teams in the regional again. Right. So you think if Florida state wins on Thursday, you think there will be more, do you think they'll have more of a representation on Saturday because the team has maybe been better throughout the season this year? Is that kind of what you're saying? Or? Yeah. Well, and the line is not okay, going to be, sure, sure. it's going to be like a four point line versus last year. I think it was like a nine or 10 or 11 point line. Right. Uh, I remember doing interviews for that game, and like all of a sudden the game was close, and I'm like, "Wow, I really did not write as if this game was going to be close." <laughs> and so, um, but but yeah, I think Michigan will do really well, and I think again every year Michigan does this, more and more general Michigan fans become diehard basketball fans. I mean, you can probably see it on our website. You know, our traffic is up, the the basketball discussion is up, but I'm not saying like. Most Michigan fans, I think, are fans of both, especially ones who went to the school. But now I have a lot more, I feel like I have a lot more people asking me about the players, and there's a few more diehards than there were a couple years ago. So I think that's part of it. And I think that's what, that came true in Des Moines. Because they definitely, I mean, of course they were going to have more fans in Montana and more fans than Florida. I mean, they were double-digit seeds playing kind of far away. Uh, Saturday was a little weird because it was a very Minnesota-heavy crowd. I didn't realize they were only three hours from <laughs> Minneapolis. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, and I think there's something to be said. I, back to Des Moines overall. I enjoyed it. It's I think it's a very media-friendly town because it's a little bit easier to get to and get around. Uh, you know, like uh, L.A., our, our media hotel is three miles away from the stadium, which is fine. Like, we're not c- complaining, but, like, in Des Moines, they had – shuttles it was like you could see the stadium from the hotel it was like not even half a mile and they had shuttles every five minutes they just basically circled so like in some way you know in some ways it's easier it's probably easier for the players to be focused versus if they went to like you know la in the first weekend i could see where distractions could come into play uh still would like to and i think some go blog campaign for this someone has campaigned campaigned for like more I mean, if the Big Ten and the ACC are the top conferences, there should be a lot more Milwaukee or Cleveland or Indianapolis, Pittsburgh. They should There should be two or three of those kind of cities every year. Because I think this year, the closest team to – the team with the regional site closest to Columbus was Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue, uh, I think maybe Virginia as well. Uh, you know, it's just like this very long list of schools that would, <laughs> you know, their closest thing is all the same city. I think it happened last year with Detroit, and that's how uh, Michigan got pinched out to to Wichita. So would like to see more of that. 
Um, as someone from the upper Midwest, it certainly <laughs> would like to see those cities have those chances too. But uh, yeah, not not too much. I mean, it was it was it was was what it was. It was a neutral site game. They looked really good, Steve. We can talk about that. I mean, anything anything still stick out as far as something that impressed you? I, I know I wrote the story yesterday. I was very impressed with how. I think this is the first time all year you could look at all seven players and say they have taken a step forward in the last two weeks in some way, shape, or form. I thought that really stood out. Um, they seem really like connected, and it's obviously easier to think that when they have a open locker room and we get to actually get to know the players a little bit better than the like ten minutes that they stand in front of us in the media room. But seems like there's a more cohesion. Uh, I know I've written the story about Xavier Simpson, basically telling everyone, you know, you don't get to you don't get to say my bad anymore. Your season's over if you're doing something where you have to say my bad. So I think I think there's more urgency too, because uh, I thought I mean, and, and I think BartTorvik.com does like a game score based on opponent and your margin, how dominant you were. Uh, they're playing their best basketball of the year if you if you look at that game score and and I think I test wise, I would assert that as well. I mean, this is right up there with Carolina. Nova Purdue week now I think they snuck up on those teams a little bit but I mean Florida they gave Florida their worst loss since the first game of the season so I thought they did a lot of things really well yeah I mean it was uh what do we say like a suffocating it was kind of one of those games where you never you know Florida it was one of those deals you know Florida came out shooting the ball really really well uh but in my opinion and, and from my standpoint it was never a game where I kind of thought you know like that there was any concern mm-hmm. you know it was like I, to me it was more of a okay there's no way that Florida's going to continue to shoot the ball the way they are and that's right. pretty much how it right. turned out you know Michigan was really in my opinion on cruise control for most of the game it was like I said I thought it was a game where it just felt like they had control of the game even when they were even when the score was pretty close mm-hmm. you know it was like there were a couple you had the bank shot three you had a couple you know like which is you know, Michigan's had to deal with that sometimes, a couple, you know, bounces that maybe go the other way or whatever, but this was a game and it did, it felt like Michigan was, you know, in Florida, they, I see right now, I have Ken Palm, the great Ken Palm, right in front of me, I think it says, like, they were ranked 25th to end, but they mm-hmm. also had 15 losses, right. uh, not really a uh, great team by any stretch of the imagination, but again, that's like, it's like Michigan did what they're supposed to do yeah. against a team like that, right, and that's like, you know, that, that, at this time of the year, I think that still means something, though. Because, yeah, it is. It's one and done. You can always catch a team that, well, I mean, some of, these, like, you know, some of the better teams in the tournament have already, you know, Duke had their uh, well, great win against UCF. <laughs> you know, and, and then, uh, I don't know, a couple other teams have struggled. Well, Tennessee, obviously, right, uh, you know, right. has struggled in both games. I don't really think that, I think they're pretty overrated. Wouldn't mind seeing Purdue throttle them on Thursday, but uh, you know, so, so a couple of these teams have struggled a little bit like that, but Michigan, you know, obviously haven't hit that point. Uh, biggest thing to me, though, honestly, about Saturday's game, Teske, man. Like, I thought he played, and again, we keep saying it, and he, he's, he's, he's steady on the defensive end, but, man, I thought he was, there's a noticeable, and even on the offense, there's a noticeable difference when he is not in the game. I thought that the only time that Florida had any success almost on either end of the floor was when Teske was on the bench. 
I really do. I mean, mm-hmm. it just seemed like a different a different game when he was not there. And to see him, I mean, one of the things, there was one defensive possession where he had to go out in the perimeter, cover the guard. He did that. And then I think he made a play down underneath the rim, too, on the same possession, like just an all-around defensive effort. Just thought, I thought he played one of his best games of the year for sure. You know, and I know, uh, you know, and I met Mike White after the game, and, you know, Simpson was the first name he mentioned, which is not a surprise because he coach. still is kind of – Right, exactly, and he, he's the straw that kind of stirs the drink, or however you want to say it. Um, but I was really impressed by Teske, and then again, I think the easy one to point to is that tournament Matthews has hmm. kind of showed up too, where he looks—he just looks more comfortable. He's making the better decisions offensively, which to me, I think it's clear he's best when he catches the ball in the perimeter and then knifes through the lane and gets to the basket, whether he draws a foul, kicks it out, or, or lays it in. It seems to be when he's at his most effective. But then the other piece of it, too, for him, and this is where he is dangerous, is when he is hitting that mid-range. Because then the defense has to respect him when he does catch the ball up top. You know, and then he and then he can kind of decide what the best route is to go. Uh, he's been the difference maker. He has far none their most important player on Thursday, too. I think anybody would agree with that with what, Texas Tech has in Culver. Yeah. You know, so I, so I think Matthew's coming into his own the way that he appears to be uh, the last couple games, the first two games of the tournament here, potentially bodes well for them uh, on Thursday and afterwards. When you have to remember, you know, it's not just tournament Matthews. Well, that is a factor, and I think there is more urgency, a little bit more. I don't think he was ever unfocused. He he's I think people forget that he's a lot like Xavier Simpson as far as how competitive and like non unflappable he is, but he's healthier, you know, and, and he, he was still, he was not 100% in, in Chicago. He even told me he wasn't hundred percent in Des Moines, but he, there's a little bit more of a bounce to him. Like he can jump because, you know, ankle injuries are, and knee injuries are really tricky in basketball. Cause it's not like football where you just have to run forward. Now, obviously the tackles hurt, but like you have to really do these explosive jumps and things to be at your, at your best. And I think Derek Rhodes is a great example of that, that, you know, it's just it could, he could never get all the way right. back and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good point. And I will point to uh, the stat that I've been referencing for the past couple of weeks because it remains relevant. When Matthew scores seven or more points, Michigan is twenty five and one. When they don't, they are five and five. So who was the other? Who was that last year? There Duncan Robinson. Last year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Was it six points for him? Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. So I wasn't questioning his focus per se. I just say like, because I don't like again. I, yeah, I assume he's focused all the time. No, I'm I know. Saying like yeah. when you when you watch him, he just looks more sound. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you're saying that being healthy has got to be a part of that. But he also just seems to make the better. Again, this is on Thursday and Saturday. He just seems to make the better decision more consistently. I guess and like. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, I know, again, he sort of reminds me of Zach Irvin at times as far as, like, his indecisiveness, indecisiveness offensively, especially when he tries to play off the dribble, to where I think he's a little weak off the dribble, much better as a catch-and-slash hmm. kind of guy. And he just seems to kind of maybe do that a little bit. He's done that a little bit more the last two games here. Because, again, his defense is a constant, right? I mean, right. it's you can, you can that's, that's one of those things that you can 
pack it up in the suitcase and take it wherever you're going to go because hmm. it's 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 effort based and uh, you know he's got the length and size and obviously all that you know and the, and the athleticism to do that. But um, you know those are the two guys because at this point Simpson's just kind of the constant, right? I mean, right. I thought he struggled a little bit against Montana. I thought he made a couple decisions that, that first like, half. Maybe, that oh, first half, yeah. and I'm wondering what Texas Tech is going to do because they. They met Xavier Simpson super early, and basically they said, we dare you to get this pass off. And and he had right. four turnovers in the first half, more than he's had in any of his last ten games. And and then he could have had a couple more. I mean, there were a couple that were near turnovers that he was able to hang on to. But, um, but I will say, to his credit, I think he was – it just took him a second to adjust. And I think he was able to make earlier, smarter passes the rest of the tournament. I uh, do think that might be something to keep in mind for, for Texas Tech. But, yeah, I mean, the second half against Montana, he had seven assists and no turnovers. And he's averaging nine – I'm sorry, 8.8 assists over his last 11 games. And it's just it, – you know, he's a constant, but I do think he has really stepped up his game the last month or so. Totally. I agree. And with Teske – that's, oh, that's why they point to him. That's, you know, that's why he's the guy that everyone else points to. He's the first guy they talk about he really is like the it's that it's it's not intangible because you can see it but just 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 control of everything in control of the pace you know the the first to second pass when he's not the guy that's making the assist he's making the right first pass to set up the second pass like just that those little things that well that coaches see yeah. That maybe you or I maybe wouldn't see on first glance necessarily, but coaches who are being paid to break this stuff down and see it in real time, they see it immediately, you know, and that's why he's so valuable. Like to, like I said, to me, he's just such a constant at this point where it's like um, kind of the guy I feel like you can count on in some capacity to produce, and whether that's, again, you know, I don't, he's not going to score 13, 14 points every time out there, but but a guy that you know you can count on for a few things that'll be like everything from him will almost always be positive in some capacity. Yep, yep, I would I would agree, and I think Charles Matthews had a great quote after Saturday's game because I think some people were asking, "Do you feel like Xavier Simpson's underrated?" And what he said was, "Anyone with a decent basketball IQ knows how important he is to this team." And Absolutely. and I think if you watch every really Michigan game, simple. yeah, yeah, I don't. I can't remember what the exact plus minus is when when he's on versus when he's off. That's a hard stat to to track. Uh, but it's I guarantee if someone did find it, it would be pretty exceptional. Um, yeah, and regarding Teske, because we didn't we didn't quite finish that discussion. You know, I think there's a few things at play. One, I think I was talking to Sanderson, John Sanderson, the strength and conditioning coach. Apparently, he is. They do a drill where they run lengths of the court for three minutes. And it's how many, however many lengths you can do in three minutes. That's like your test. He, like a typical fast guard, like a Derek Walton, Charles Matthew, Xavier Simpson type, they'll do 29 lengths in, in three minutes. And Teske, when he was testing initially, like last year, freshman year, he was at 23. He's now at like 26, 27. I mean, that's that's a lot faster. That's, I mean, I'm not quite oh, sure. That's, what, that's a tangible, yeah, yep. Yeah, and his vertical leap increased by four inches, and I think you're starting to see, I mean, his defense has been good all year, and I think his offense has been solid all year, but I think maybe it's a little bit of the Big Ten deal, because I remember there would be times where he'd put up a three, 
say he was playing Maryland or Minnesota, and it would just airball, you know, like it was just like not even close. And he didn't, I don't think he was a huge three-point threat this weekend, but I think when, when you start facing non-Big Ten teams that don't have these gigantic seven-footers, you know, I think you'll see maybe a little bit more success. Now, Texas Tech has a little bit more size to them than Florida. Florida was a small ball team, and Montana was definitely a small ball team, and that was almost a disadvantage to Michigan, how much of a small ball team they were. But you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're seeing him... I, I I don't know what the numbers are. I just think he's ascending as a consistent player on both ends of the court right now. You know, I think they did a nice job finding him in the post this weekend. And I think that's something that they've been working on, you know, ever since that those two Michigan State losses, not the one in Chicago, but the other two, where they just weren't able to find him in the post. I think, I think that's something that they're working on. And one player, one other player who I think, you know, Charles Matthews is probably the most important player. Uh, but, but I got called for an interview today, and I was asked, most important player in X-Factor? One X-Factor I'd keep in mind, because I didn't realize he was doing quite this well, Isaiah Livers. You know, I think he's, he's since he started for Matthews, I think he's really taken the onus upon himself to be more selfish. Uh, I got to talk to Luke Yaklich this weekend, and, and he mentioned last year, every day, they're like, Isaiah, you're 6'8", you're 240, you're athletic, you can jump take the ball to the rim. And and he just didn't really do it that much. And he didn't do it a ton in games this season. Apparently he's been doing it in practice. But I think he, this is where sometimes those injuries, I think Beeline has the quote, sometimes they can help. Uh, in that you kind of push somebody in a different situation. And I think he got pushed because I'll tell you what, Steve, he's averaging 12 points a game in the postseason. Five games in, he's averaging 12 points a game. I think they would love to have that from their sixth man. You know, that'd be a, I mean, considering he's probably their their best dunker and their best three point shooter, uh, which, yeah, is, no, which is really fascinating. No was, uh, I was gonna say, no doubt he took it to the rim on Saturday, right? I mean that. And again, it's like it's one of those deals where just having a taste, like of success, you know, when they're telling you to do something like what you mentioned, what the coaches would say to him, and then he does it and it works. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all it takes for the light to just to go on, right? And for for a guy like that to think. Okay, I can do this again in a big on a big stage, you know, and then kind of build on that, you know. And, and he's a player specifically that, yeah, like appears to be peaking at the right time right now for them, which is exactly what they needed, right? Because he right. he is he's a guy that can do, especially on the offensive end, is a guy that can really yeah can beat you in a lot of different ways, and uh, that versatility. Again, a guy who still, again, I say offensively, but still is able to, to hold his own off or down the defensive end if Michigan wants to go small, right? I mean, I think he's done an admirable job. I don't think he's elite sure. necessarily, but I think he's a guy that you can count on, and not just when Teske's in foul trouble, but if you want to give him a rest or you want to play the matchups game, you know. And so, uh, which I don't know, if, I don't know, I don't really feel like Texas Tech is built that way. Uh, I think this will be, I suspect, more of a standard type game as far as like how they try to match up with them maybe I, I don't think they'd go small with but them, you know but what there is something on that note you know as far as not just subbing Teske out when he's in foul trouble I don't know maybe maybe I'm the only person that thinks this I, I didn't actually talk to anyone about this but it felt like Beeline did a little bit more of a hockey shift situation this weekend where you know he would put sure. Livers in for two minutes 
put Teske in for three or four. You know, in the past, they, they often use the media timeouts and Beeline would kind of keep guys in, at least this season, right? Because some of it was necessity. You know what it's like when Teske's out of the game. But it felt like he was more willing, especially with Brooks and Livers, to just put those guys in for a minute or two, you know, or, or two minutes or three minutes. And, and, and then, you know, hockey shifts, obviously, it's never going to be like that. But a little bit quicker shifts, and I, I wonder, maybe I'll be able to ask someone about this this week in, in Anaheim, but I wonder if that's a sign of, one, Livers getting better to the point where they can trust him in that situation, and also realizing uh, just how important Teske is, you know, and how important it is to keep him rested and, and ready to go toward the end of games. But um, 100%. Like, if you, that's the thing. You get out to a lead... You, the, your, one of your first thoughts has to be to get Teske some rest, mm-hmm. right? Because then your thought is, hey, we're winning. We got a chance now to go to play in two days or to play in five days or whatever, you know, whether it's Thursday or Saturday. He's the first guy that you have to kind of look at. Like, this is the one guy that we kind of have to keep. We have to manage him differently than, like, a Simpson who can run back and forth all day long probably, right? Right. Because you know, with Teske... I assume you'd have to manage him a little bit differently. So when you do get those opportunities, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Castleton even got in on Saturday for a little bit. And to me, that was a clear indicator that, yeah, that part of what they're trying to do is to keep, keep Teske fresh. And yeah, not, yeah, not just within that given game, but thinking, you know, we feel good and we can throw Castleton in here for three or four might help us on Saturday. When Teske, you know, when we, if we need to play Teske down the stretch, you know, he's been getting some rest during the game. So, you know, it's clear that he man. I always feel like Beeline manages, but his in, his in game management is not just with the current game in mind, but for the future as well. I've just always, and it's got to be. I don't think there's a coach in the country that maybe doesn't look at it that way. Uh, and again, that's what removing fouls, right? Like, and, and I'm that's the other thing too. They. You know, that's the one thing Michigan has avoided so far is that early foul trouble in either of the first two games. And that's – that's still think that's going to be – for the way they play defense, I still think that's going to be the biggest thing. They come out on Thursday and they're blowing the whistle early and often, then I think Michigan's in trouble, right? Okay. So well, let's... It'll, it'll, be in, it'll be interesting, though, because – I mean, because both these teams are such good defensive teams to see how they call it because, it you know – where it's just a foul fest. If they're if they're heavy on the whistle, this could become a foul fest really, really fast, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk so. about Thursday's game because Brandon Pisarski asks, Michigan basketball needs to be successful at blank to beat Texas Tech. Uh, while you think of your answer, I'll give you a little bit of a preview of Texas Tech. Uh, you know, they're, they're great at, as you mentioned, Steve, drawing fouls. They draw more offensive fouls than Wisconsin does. And, and they, they commit a lot of fouls, too. So that's where things get a little tricky. Uh, and, but, but they also play their guys with two fouls. They don't even care. Uh, but they, they block a ton of shots, top 10 block, you know, shot-blocking team. And then they actually force turnovers. They're 10th in the country at forced turnover rate, uh, which is the best Michigan has faced all season. Better than Illinois, better than Florida. I mean, that was Florida's MO. Better than Penn State. That was Penn State's MO. So this is a very, you know, Michigan's defense, I think they're great at redirects and they're great at stuff that doesn't show up in the box score, you know, holding guys to lower shots, 
uh, you know, they don't necessarily get a ton of blocks and steals, but kind of a wear you down, push you into bad situations defense. Texas Tech is just real in your face. They're just real stingy. I mean, they're they're probably the basketball equivalent of Michigan's defensive line from a couple of years ago, where it was like just constantly constant pressure, constant blitzing. Uh, you know, it's it's very in your face. They don't care if they get into foul trouble. They'll try to draw fouls. They'll try to block shots. They'll try to get steals. So there's that. And then of course, on offense, uh, you know, Jarrett Culver probably landing on some All-American lists. Um, you know, great, great passer, but also just a great scorer himself. You know, and and just I mean, as a team, uh, they don't they don't turn the ball over a ton. They shoot decently well. They're not an amazing offense. Uh, they're able to get to the rim pretty well, but really, I think this is figuring out how to beat Texas Tech's defense. And I'll tell you, in my from what I can tell. And maybe I'll get more insight tomorrow. But from what I can tell, the biggest thing Michigan has to do to answer Brandon's question, they've got to make threes. Because I think that's going to yeah. be their only yeah. the only yeah. way to get – you can't get through this defense. You can get over them. And you can get over them with three-pointers. And and they're shooting decently well from three. But this, I think, Texas Tech plan is, is going to be to basically force Michigan to shoot 33s and hope that they don't make 10. And so – or, or, or more. So I think that's got to be the big, in my opinion, I think the biggest thing they've got to hit threes. Cause I think if you do make set, say you make uh four of your first nine, I do think Texas tech's defense becomes more beatable because they are going to try to run you off the line, meet you at the line rather than getting shot out of the building. And that might open up some lanes. Cause they really, they take a lot of pride in not letting anybody shoot near the rim. And they take a lot of pride on, like, you know, using their arms, using their positioning to really get in get in teams' faces. And Michigan, I think, has a very good advantage because they really don't turn the ball over very much. And that will that will take away some of what Texas Tech can do. But I really think when it comes down to it, Michigan's going to have to shoot the rock probably – Probably three-pointers at like a 35% clip. I think that would be a number I would look at and say, you know, because they've won when they haven't shot well. I just don't know if this is a team that you beat when you don't shoot well. Now, you said Texas Tech fouls a lot too, though, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's what's interesting. Like, when, when it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting, not conundrum, but almost like a, a catch-22, not a catch-22 either. I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. It's like, see, to me, it's like, Logic would say if you're playing a team that fouls a lot, then you want to try to drive the lane and force fouls. See, right? And, I and the, but but I but I, I but that no, I, I actually but I agree with you though in that I, I think that it is going to be perimeter. You know, they're going to have to hit from the like. It's just I don't know. I think it's just kind of a weird dynamic there where it's like the stats say, hey, these guys foul a lot, so you might be able to get into the bonus early, get to the line get a couple of their best players in foul trouble and go from there. But I, I agree that I do think it's going to end up being a deal where they're going to have to play well from outside if they're going to have a shot, you know, winning the game. Uh, that's sort of, I, I don't know. Texas Tech, but one thing about them, though, is like that I was surprised based on everything I've heard about them. They're not really an elite rebounding team. No. And no. I kind of and I kind of would have thought they would have been when you consider – 
the, the stinginess of their defense, the, the type like the type of defense you described earlier, that they'd have been a really good rebounding team, but they're not. And my my thing is, I feel like the teams that rebound the basketball well are the ones that give Michigan the biggest problems. You know, as far you know, how many games have they lost against teams who just continue to create second chances on the boards? You know, I think that's one of the biggest reasons that Michigan State beat them three times. Was just a hmm. second chance after second chance, you know, in those the games, and so. Um, but I agree. I think it's a. I do think it, this game will most likely, not for sure. I think it will most likely be one on the perimeter, though. And uh, so here we are again. We talk about pretty much everybody else. You say that Jordan Poole, right, has, is a game yeah. where maybe he has to step <laughs> up and uh, build a little bit. I thought, you know, I know his percentage wasn't great on Saturday necessarily, but I think he took the right shots. And I do think that his second half surge there, again, much like like I think maybe build a little bit of confidence for him going forward as a guy. Again, drove the lane, which was the difference, right? I just think he's much like when he can drive the lane successfully. I think it opens up everything else in this game, where he's not uh, doing the Costanza, the Chucker <laughs> stuff, you know, from deep or whatever, and forcing stuff. So. Uh, yeah, but I, no. I, overall, though, I agree. I think it's. I think this will. If Michigan wins, I think then yeah, I think we'll look back on Friday and say that uh, that they must have shot the ball pretty well from from the perimeter for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be some forty five percent, but they they, they got to outscore this team, you know, and that's because I think they'll actually contain Texas Tech's. I mean, do you not trust Charles Matthews to shut down almost everybody at this point? Same with Xavier Simpson. Same with John Teske. Uh, one thing on the fouls, because I do think that's a common opinion if they're not good at fouls. i uh, got to keep in mind, Texas Tech is probably the only team still around in like in the Sweet 16 that doesn't do two-foul auto-benching. I think Duke and North Carolina might not either, but everybody else, I mean, they they just do not care. They'll they'll play guys with, with two fouls in the first half. On uh, Ken Palm actually has a stat for this on 41% of, of the time. And so, uh, it's, they're not afraid of getting into foul trouble. And the other thing, if you're trying to draw fouls and you say you're an offense and you're trying to go after these guys, this is a team like Wisconsin, like the early days of Michigan that really was, they take a lot of pride in drawing fouls on offense, drawing offensive fouls. So I think, you well, know, that, you still want to go to the drive in the lane, right? That you want to maybe, you're going to be, have to be careful when you do drive the lane then because they're going to Davidson. Right, exactly. Same right. deal. Yeah, same sure. Same deal. So that's where I say, you know, probably need some three-point shooting to, to win just just because they're going to keep the score low. I mean, both of these teams, I think they're number one and number two nationally in points allowed per game. And so, you know, every possession is going to be at a premium. Texas Tech's going to try to force turnovers. Can't turn the ball over. That's a great way to, to fall apart uh, is, is if – you have an uncharacteristic amount of turnovers early, but you know, I kind of looking at some of these stats, I hadn't looked too hard. I, I think I had been predicting Texas tech. That's That's what my bracket said for Texas tech to beat Michigan. But the other thing to keep in mind, Michigan's faced 18 top 40 defenses this year. Like they, you know, they haven't faced anyone as good as Texas tech, but they've faced a lot of really good defenses, especially a lot lately. And I don't think their offense has been putrid. I mean, there were obviously there were those scoring lumps and lulls and and some of their losses, but I mean the only team they've lost to in the last six weeks is Michigan State, 
and that's probably the team that knows the Michigan's offense the best. Um, and so, you know, whereas Texas Tech, the Big 12, I, I always think it's a really strong conference. That's my belief. But they didn't look so good this weekend. I mean, Iowa State lost. Um, uh, now Oklahoma won, but then lost. I'm trying to think who else is in the tournament from the Big 12. Not many. Kansas got throttled by Auburn. Kansas State lost. Yeah, Kansas State got upset, and yeah, Kansas got destroyed by Auburn. I mean, that was never even a game. Yeah. So. My final four pick there is looking good. Who was your final four pick? Auburn. Uh, They could. They're just either, yeah, they'll either go to the final four or they'll get beat by 30 on Thursday. I mean, that's, because they should have lost in the first round. I mean, you just. Yeah, I mean, a whole different subject, but one yeah. bad, you know, a guy goes one for three on the free throw line. That, that game, they'd have lost that game if that guy could have hit from the free throw line. I mean, that was, that was over. And that's what I said going into it when I watched, I remember watching Auburn, Tennessee in the SEC championship game. Because I thought both those teams could have gone, gone out early. And uh, I was really, really close to being right, actually. <laughs> uh, like, like, more right than I even thought I would be. Yeah, you know, because Colgate gave Tennessee a scare too. So yeah, the Big Twelve doesn't really seem to be. Uh, you got to remember, Texas Tech lost in the first round of the Big Twelve tournament to West Virginia. Yeah, hoop West Virginia team, right? So. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, the Big Ten was pretty bad last year, and Michigan made a run. So you know, True. you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell. I do think that's something to keep in mind when I roll out these stats that they're top ten in turnover rate, top ten in block rate. I mean, I don't think there's another team in the country that can make that claim and but but if the Big Twelve is indeed not as good as advertised, perhaps perhaps there's something to it. Um, but I guess we'll see. Uh, one question we got that I think is interesting, and speaking of we were just talking about Jordan Poole and what they need to beat Texas Tech. If Michigan could this comes from Zach Sawyer. If Michigan could add one player from last year's team to this year's team, which player would you mo would be the best fit? So Mo Wagner, Muhammad Ali, Abdul Rahman, or Duncan Robinson. And I got to say, you know, I know people pick on pool. I don't think it's really fair, but I think if they had Muhammad Ali, Abdul Rahman as their two guard, I think that, I think this team would be a one seed and I don't think anybody could stop them. I mean, maybe not in the entire country, but I think you'd look at every matchup they could possibly have and you'd say, well, you kind of like Michigan's chances there. I mean, the defense, the three point shooting, the leadership, the the bulk the shot creation I mean other than other than Matthews and kind of Pool and Iggy I mean they, they don't have a ton of shot creators on this team it's you look at you know John Teske he is not a post up guy you know he does not really put the ball on the floor he's very much a um, you know find him in the lane and he'll he'll put it up really quickly kind of guy they've got a lot of guys who need the ball assisted to them so I think I think. There's a lot of reasons I'd pick Muhammad. I think Mo and Duncan could add a lot. I think they would love another reliable 35% plus shooter. Uh, but, you know, Muhammad did that too, on top of good defense and good leadership. So he'd be my pick. Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, he was my immediate answer when I read it too, which is, you know, funny because the other two, at least talking about Robinson and Wagner, have are either in the NBA or have already had a cup of coffee in the NBA. That's true. Right? But, it is, but it is interesting that, I mean, he was, Rockman was immediately my first thought. was like, yeah, because he, he had like a, and again, the other guys, the Wagner especially, but but Rockman kind of had that it 
that it factor. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a guy that I think you could count on to do something in a big spot, right? I mean, he was one of the only guys that played well in the national title game last year, right? I mean, he's the only one of the only guys that gave Villanova a lot of problems. I think right? I think so, the three guys you just listed were the only guys to play well against Villanova, actually. <laughs> true, but still, you know, so, uh, but no, he, no, that was, he was my pick in that regard, too. Yeah. So no disagreement at all there. Yeah, I think previously in the season, I think they really could have used a Duncan Robinson. But I got to say, you know, he's not a volume shooter, but Livers, if he's going to keep hitting 40%, and I think they they did a really nice job of getting him open this weekend. I don't know if that's him knowing where to be. I don't know if that's the team figuring out how to, you know, different ways to drive and kick and, and find him. But if they're going to find him that open three times this weekend or per game this weekend, uh, you significantly like Michigan's chances more. Just if I mean I don't know what his points per victory or loss stats are, but it just seems like when he does well, it's like kind of a backbreaker type thing, like what Duncan Robinson was. I mean that stat, you know, with the six points, which by the way I came up with. Everyone else took it from me and they never gave me credit, but um, <laughs> I remember I was the first one. Never forget to our listeners, but. Part of that was he was this backbreaker because he was the four, and all of a sudden he's shooting threes, and suddenly they have to go out and guard him, and that opened up the lane. And so that's, you know, if Isaiah Livers can hit a couple early, I certainly like Xavier Simpson and Charles Matthews' chances of getting to the rim a little bit better, especially against a team that I think is as aggressive as Texas Tech's defense. Because it's kind of, I mean, you know, we... it's, we talk about Texas Tech de- defense like Michigan has no idea what that's like. They're right up there statistically with Texas Tech. But I think Michigan is more of a what's – a, what's a good analogy here? They, they have a very st- stern fortress, so to speak. Like, let's say it's like a castle. It's like you're not getting you know, by it. Texas Tech's defense almost is like an offense. Like it attacks you. It forces havoc. You know, it's it's mistake prone, certainly, but also it's just, I mean, if they're going after the ball, they're going after the block shots. I mean, they're, and they take a lot of pride in it, just like Michigan does. So, should be interesting. Uh, I don't know if you want to do a prediction. I don't have one. So, but we did get a question. One more. Ben Leaders. Wait. Oh, yeah. Ben Leaders had a second question. Michigan makes the Final Four if blank happens. This one's a little tougher because you also have Gonzaga and Florida State, and you actually have to win two games, so it's not just like a shoot well. That's probably too too simple. I think they make the Final Four if they keep doing what they're doing because I, I wrote about this on Monday. They've got seven guys that are really clicking, and they're connected, and I think they know everyone's role. I don't know about you what it looked like on TV, I felt like every player played their role really well this past weekend. You know, what they were supposed oh, yeah. to do. Eli Brooks even had, I thought, some of his most quality minutes of the season on Saturday. He has he has more than double the points this postseason yeah. or in, yeah. that, than he did in January and February combined. I'm just saying, like, watching him take the ball, drive the lane up, and put it up with the left hand for an easy layup, it was the most confident offensive move I've seen him make all season. <laughs> like... You know, totally, actually both baskets he made were conscious decisions to drive the ball and and put it up. Not, you know, 
chucks at the as the shot clocks expired or stuck at the top of the key trying to look for a pass and just throwing up something because nothing's there. You know, I mean, those were decisive offensive moves, shots, and makes that you know a month month or two ago. I don't think he's he's making right. So even yeah, even a guy like him, yeah. I think has come along in a yep. really short order. Here's the stat. He had 10 points in January and February combined. He has 20 points in five postseason games. So even, it doesn't sound like a ton. It's four points a game. But even that, it's just a couple buckets here and there. That could be the difference between being up six and being up 10. And so I think I think my my answer to what, what, what they have to do to make the Final Four, because the road gets a lot tougher. But if they can keep clicking like they are and have seven guys ascending, Right, I mean, who took a step back this weekend? I didn't see anybody take a step back this weekend. I think every single player had something that they could. Maybe, maybe Iggy, but he was so great in the Big Ten tournament. I don't think you're necessarily worried about him. But and he also had 19 points, so it wasn't like he was a slouch either. But other than him, who took a step back this weekend? I don't think anybody did. So if they do that again, I mean, you know, it's it's last year. I'm going to say I think they were very lucky in their tournament run because they were looking at this L.A. regional and they were they were not as good as they are this year. And every team, there were already enough upsets. You know, A&M was a seven seed. Florida State was a nine seed. Gonzaga was a four seed. This year, it's it's all the juggernauts. It's all the top teams. But at the same time, I think Michigan, with that defense and the way they play, it might not always be pretty. And they did have they did lose the Big Ten tournament. And they lost three times to Michigan State, but I think this Michigan team is is better than the last year's team. And if everyone keeps clicking and no one's having these off nights, I think they certainly can pull off a couple of wins here. No doubt, of course they can. There's like this is this is one of the better. I think a lot of it's almost chalk, right? It's almost been chalk at this point, right? And I think this is what everyone was hoping for. I think. Think there, is there a team out there right now that you? I mean, outside of again, probably like an Oregon, maybe or that's it. That's the only one. Probably right. It's like because I think even a, I mean, even like look at what Purdue. If if that Carson Edwards shows up for Purdue, if there's no they can at least get to the Final Four. If that Carson Edwards shows up, the one that showed up against Villanova, uh, Virginia's shutting them I mean, down. They, yeah, they were in Villanova. <laughs> What? What's that? I said Virginia's, Virginia's going to shut him down. If any, if yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But if, you know what I mean, though. Is like, yeah. like, so I think there's there are paths open to pretty much every team left, and that's where I think that it's difficult to to kind of. I think it's. I think right now it's harder to pick who's going to win on Thursday and Saturday this week almost than it was to pick. Who was going to win on Thursday and Saturday last week? Yeah, and that's not. I don't think that's. A, but that don't. And somebody might hear that and say, "Well, yeah, no duh." But <laughs> I don't think that's always the case necessarily. Like, there, like you said, there's usually, you know, there's that 12 seed that, well, like Oregon, right? But yeah, there's usually a few. There's usually four or five of those types of teams playing on house money on borrowed time, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at the spread this weekend. Tennessee, one-point favorite. Again, Virginia, yeah, Virginia is a kind of a heavy favorite over Oregon, which is not a surprise. And I guess Michigan State is kind of a heavy favorite over LSU, although I do think that game is going to be 
but Houston and Kentucky, Kentucky's not favored by much. Michigan, Texas Tech, close game. I wouldn't, I'd probably put money on Florida State at six and a half. I think that's going to be a better game than what Vegas is saying it is at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these games are actually closer than how they open. And uh, so I think it's going to be, you know, and Duke is a heavy favorite against, I think, Virginia Tech. But, uh, but either way, it was like, that's what it's like. like. I mean, I would not be surprised if, if Auburn was to beat North Carolina, right? Yeah, you or could pick. State was to beat Gonzaga. Like, uh, that would not surprise me one iota. Yeah. Other than Oregon, I think you could talk me into all 15 teams making any the Final te- Four. Yeah, any, yeah. Other of these, any other of these games, right? Yeah. And that's not because Virginia is that much better. I just, yeah, like, I think Oregon is, like you said, that house money type deal. But, yeah, any of these, like, LSU. LSU is like a, well, they beat a better version of Maryland. You know, they're like a better version of Maryland. It's like they have talented players across the board. They're just undisciplined, again, young. Pick, yeah. Yeah. Like I would, I would pick Michigan State to win that game for sure. But are you, you telling me that you don't think there's a shot? Right. For LSU? Are you kidding me? I mean, Michigan State didn't exactly look great in the first round, right? I mean, that game was in doubt for a decent amount of time. So, hmm. uh, you know, I agree. I think this is going to be this. You know, the first weekend, I think overall for fans is probably a little bit of a disappointment. I think this weekend will probably make up for that. I think there are going to be some classics uh, both nights, I think. Yep. Or both sets, I guess, not both nights. I would agree. I would agree. Okay, with that, uh, that was those were our basketball questions. I don't think I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, yeah, we're good. Yep, so we'll have plenty of – I'll have plenty of updates. Josh Henschke will have plenty of updates from Anaheim tomorrow. Uh, check it all out. Obviously, spring ball is still going on. There will be stories there. If if you made it this far in the podcast and you're like, where's the football? Uh, maybe you shouldn't have listened to the podcast, but it's lots of football stuff, too. Uh, you can check it all out at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247Sports.com as well. For Steve Lorenz on the phone, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next week.